Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Peter coming to bring God's Word to us this morning. Um, Peter, of course, the founding pastor here at Bridgman. Um, starting off this church down in the football club, just a few families down there, and we continue to give so much thanks to God for what He's done. But um, this man is a great blessing and encouragement to me continually. There's so much in the background that no one sees, your humble heart and your prayers and support. Uh, for our whole team here and for this church and for me personally. And so I'd love it if you can make Pete feel really welcome as he comes to bring God's Word to us this morning. Bless Thank you, me. brother. Thank you, yeah. Thanks, Nath. And did you notice the green up here this morning? Did you see that? Green, 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 green. It's really great when you get to be an old man and you sort of, every now and then, you sort of fit in with the young men. You sort of make sure you sort of get a bit of a whoa up. You've got to act your age. I understand that when you get to my age, but it's just nice every now and then to feel young. Uh, we're young forever. If you're in Jesus this morning, you do know that. We're lasting forever, praise God. Hallelujah. Is that the best you can do, church, this morning about that great truth? <laughs> yeah. That's good. We need to start there because, uh, yeah, we're in Jeremiah again is where we're going. And uh, yes, are we ready? This is God's word coming to us today. I pray your heart's open, ready to receive it. The theological concept of divine judgment is not a very popular idea in our world, is it? Secularists, they scoff at the notion that we are ultimately accountable to God for our word and for our actions in this life. It's you know, in our sophisticated society, it's regarded as to do with a previous era, you know, where God's judgment belonged to the superstitious era or to the moral manipulation era. There has, of course, been a lot of abuse of God's judgment by religious people. You might know some of these people who have grown up with a, a sort of an idea of an angry God up there with the big stick ready to whack people if they do something wrong. I've spoken to many of those people, in fact. And there has and there continues to be self-righteous, judgmental, people who are yeah, religious people who are really ready to pronounce God's judgment on others, their perceived sins of others, and they do it with contempt and they do it with condemnation. Don't be part of that crowd on social media, folks, will you? Don't be part of that crowd. That's not good for the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. But for all the abuses of the idea of divine judgment and, and sort of a longing to be free from the, from the notion of accountability to God, the awareness of a need for judgment remains very strong in our world. The cries for, for justice and judgment, they fill our news feeds every day, do they not? If someone has indeed abducted little Cleo Smith, the, you know, the little one missing in the WA, then surely that person should be held to account. Isn't that right? That's, we, we understand that. Justice demands that there are consequences for actions. And so the biblical understanding that one day everyone will be called to give an account, it actually fits very logically with humanity's awareness of the need for justice. Of course, um, equating everything which goes wrong, you know, every trial that we experience in this world or suffering in our lives as a sign of God's judgment, that is not a biblical position. The book of Job 
warns us about making that sort of assumption in the words of Jesus in John 9, responding to the disciples' questions about who had sinned. Was it, was it the guy that was born blind? Was that his fault or was that his parents' fault? And Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So we've got to be very careful when we make any assumptions about the judging work of God on this earth. But that doesn't mean that there aren't times when individuals and communities find themselves enduring suffering that comes as a consequence of sinful actions. We're in a series in the book of Jeremiah and they were a group of God's people around the 600 BCs who were in that sort of place, enduring judgments that were coming from God because of their constant repetitive sin. The words that we're going to look at this morning come at a time when Jerusalem was actually surrounded by Babylonian troops. Siege ramps were being erected against the city. The city had actually been captured a number of years ago and, and many of its leaders had been marched away into exile. But they'd established, you see, a puppet government by the Babylonians that established that in, in Jerusalem. But that puppet government thought that they could escape the servitude to their masters by developing an alliance with the other big world power at that time, Egypt. Unfortunately, their scheming went pear-shaped when Egypt decided it wasn't going to get into a fight with Babylon. And so the Babylonian army arrived to teach the Jewish people that rebelling against their authority had very, very serious consequences. This is the context, the historical context of the passage we're going to read in a moment. The people of Judah, they were about to reap what they had sown. The seeds of destruction that had been planted, in fact, for generations because of their sinful actions. So you're ready to listen to God's word this morning with that background. I'm mainly in Jeremiah 32 this morning. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn to there. If you're on a digital version, you can open that up too as well. Are you ready? Let me read a passage. This is the first of the things that God has for us this morning. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. The Babylonians who are attacking this city will come in and set it on fire. They will burn it down along with the houses where the people aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but arouse my anger with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. Hear this next verse. They turn their backs to me and not their faces. Think about that. They turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their vile Im images in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind 
that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Wow, did you hear that? What a description of a people. It was, it was a community, it was a nation that was just full of the oppression of the poor, mistreatment of their workers. Idolatry was rampant as was sexual abuse and sexual exploitation. Corruption was common in the legal system and religion was just a sham. And the total depravity of, the, of that society was revealed in the willingness to sacrifice their children as an offering to the gods. And despite warning after warning after warning, and even indications as how they could avoid the worst of the Babylonian invasion through surrender. The people of Judah, they chose to ignore, to reject, to rebel against any direction that came from God, electing on the other hand to actually jail and murder the very people whom God sent as his messengers. That's where Jeremiah, God's prophet was actually at this very time when these incidents take place. He's actually locked up. He's in the courtyard of the palace guard. The obstinance of Judah's leaders, their their rebellion, their determination to do what was wrong, it led to the inevitable consequences of persistent and willful wrongdoing and that is its judgment. And the axe was about to fall as the Babylonian army besieged the city. Jeremiah had been predicting this for many, many years. If there wasn't a change of heart, these are the things that were going to happen. So what word does Jeremiah receive at this particular moment to pass on to the people when this disaster is about to overwhelm them? What word does he get from God? Will it be a a message where Jeremiah gets the chance to say, I told you that this was going to happen. You should have listened to me. And now you've got coming what you deserve. Will that be the message that he receives? Will it be another of his famous object lessons that rams home the disastrous consequences of ignoring or rejecting God? Well, listen to what's recorded. Verses 6 to 10 of Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative... It is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scale. Now, what on earth is going on? What's God saying and doing in all of these circumstances? Jeremiah's in jail. Get this picture. And then this family member turns up. He's in jail. Family member turns up. He's after a bit of money, some more money, by offloading a piece of real estate that at that time was worth how much? Nothing. Did you know that the Babylonian troops were actually perched right on that very land when it comes to do the deal? That's not good real estate buying. I've got to tell you, if you didn't realise that, dumb time. Dumb time. He's in jail. Get the picture. The enemy's on the doorstep. No one's got a clue about the future. And here's a land deal going on. Does not make sense. Ridiculous. 
Any real estate person would say, don't go there. Any financial advisor would say, don't go there. Everything was against this purchase, but Jeremiah was not buying the land on the advice of his real estate agent or his financial advisor. He was buying it because God had directed him to engage in this deal and make that deal very public, in fact. God had told him his cousin would turn up and sure enough, his cousin turned up. This was from God. A very, very important statement was being made through this God-directed purchase. Listen to what Jeremiah said as the transaction proceeded. You ready? This is 32, 13, 15. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Here is the point of the purchase. If you haven't worked out what it is, here it is. It is a powerful, powerful assertion that God's still got a plan for the land and for His people. God's still got things to do, wonderful things. The Babylonians, they may have the siege ramps on the walls and the, and the land may be filled with foreign troops. But this is not the end. There is hope for the future here. That's what this prophetic action lesson was pointing to. Now, just want you to make sure you listen really carefully for a moment because this is so important in trying to understand God's judgment. When the people were self-sufficient, when they were hard-hearted, rebellious, then Jeremiah preached judgment. That's when he preached judgment. He warned, he spoke of the impending doom. He said there would be a reckoning day for their wrongdoing. But as soon as that day drew near, rather than some sort of smug satisfaction that he'd been right, we hear words that actually bring hope to a now suffering and despairing people. It's actually an amazing picture of how God's judgment works. God, I just want to hear this this morning, God is not out to destroy us. He is for us. He is not against us. And the purpose of his judgments are always to open our hearts up to his healing and to his forgiveness. That's the purpose of his judgment. God is not some detached courtroom judge impartial to anything. If that's what your thought is about God and his judgment, you've got the wrong view. Neither is, neither is God some, you know, one of those vigilante movie stars that, you know, somebody does something wrong to them and they go and kill a whole lot of people. Whatever. If that's your view of God, you've got a way off being. God is the lover, our lover, who actually sees the devastation that adultery inevitably brings. He is the parent who endures the pain that family rebellion and rejection always produces. There are families here this morning that understand these things. Listen to how God felt about the people of Israel. Jeremiah 31, 20. It's not Ephraim, my dear son, 
the child in whom I delight. Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. That is God's heart, you see. This is God's heart. And there's parents here who understand this so well. These painful things, they understand these things well. The judgments of God, they are always full of purpose because he loves us. Their chastening impact is meant to lead us to a place of restored and deepened relationship with him. That's what he wants for us. And that's why at this particular moment in Judah's history as the reckoning day is drawing near for the people of Jerusalem, there's this message of hope for them that God has still got a future for them. The city may be lost and, and there'll be a loss of freedom for them, but, but he loves them. He loves them and he is planning a wonderful renewal for them. I know times when we are under God's discipline, when, when we experience his chastening on our lives, in our lives, it, it may seem unlikely that God would have something uplifting to say, but this is what I have found. That is the place where God so often brings promises to us concerning the future. It's, it's actually in that place. The promises start to come in our suffering and our despair. It's the reminder that he's not finished with us despite how things may appear and what, what others may think about us and what we ourselves may think about ourselves. A little earlier this year, Luke Houghton, who um, shares in Dian Church, he celebrated 13 years of life outside of the prisons in which he resided for 13 years. Did you get that picture? It's a big milestone, isn't it? When you've done 13 years in jail and then you've been free from that for 13 years. Wow. And he was celebrating that. We celebrate together. Now, jails, as you know, are places where God does powerful things. I don't know if you realise that, but they, mighty things happen. Did you know that the word of God, quite, quite a few books were actually written in jail. You do know that, don't you? Like great things come out of jails, places of exile. Yeah. And it's a place where many men and many women who have experienced God's judgment on their actions, um, experienced judgment on their actions in this life, they, they've often recognised that they need God's help there in that place of discipline. So I want to read a small section of Luke's baptismal story. And it reveals what God can do in these places. I heard, I heard the first song we, we sang. Did you hear that? Prison walls are no barrier for God. Did you get that? I hope you sang that with faith this morning because it's happened in this church, you know that. Yeah. Listen, this is what he shared. I noticed that Mark and three other big, burly, tough guys were all huddled in the corner of their prison cage because these guys were in maximum security with their Bibles open and study notes flapping in the autumn breeze. Did I get a Hello. No, I got a brother, you need Jesus in unison from four men, mind you. Well, it hit me like a ton of bricks. In shock and awe, I just turned around and headed for my unit. I, I spent the rest of the day thinking deeply about what had just happened and why it had just happened. I came to one conclusion. 
Why not ask the only one who knows? God. So that night, all alone in a seven by six prison cell, I did just that. I asked God, God, what do you want with me? Why me? I'm nothing but a sinner. So I sat in the dark, moon shining through bars, razor wire glistening with orange floodlights in the distance. And guess what? God spoke to me. Sure, mum's told me how God speaks to you, but I just thought she was crazy. Lynn Houghton, crazy, according to son, at this particular point. No, he wrote, mum wasn't crazy. Because here I was being spoken to by God in a prison cell. I, we, we sang, this, there's nowhere God can't go, folks. Yeah. Well, to my amazement, he said this in response to my question. Remember the question? What do you want with me? And he said, to forgive you and to love you. That's what he said. At that moment, although very frightened, the, the bars, the walls, the razor wire just weren't there and my heart fluttered as, as if in joy that, that I, was lo- I was loved. M- my body went light and I replied, okay, well, let's have it out. And sure enough, we did. And at the end of our heated discussion, I said, if you are so good, If you are so good, then forgive me. Please forgive me. My life is yours. I've done a terrible job. Listen, what he wrote then. At that moment, every horrible, evil, nasty sin I had committed seemed not to be there. It was like they'd been sucked out of me. And I was at peace for the first time since I was a little boy and all I could say was thank you Lord and after a few minutes or minutes, a few moments or minutes, your welcome flooded my mind. Wow, wow. If you're sitting here this morning and you're reaping some of the consequences of going your own way, You're overwhelmed by a sense of despair and inability maybe to face the future. Then you need to listen really carefully this morning from our, God's got a message of hope for you that he wants you to grasp hold of. He wants you to hear this. He has got a plan to restore you. Hear this, hear this. He's got a plan to restore you and rebuild you and not only you, but those that are around you. He is for you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is for you. His mercy and his kindness is so great, so great. Hear that, those that are online. It's for you to hear as well this morning. Hear it. I know that may sound impossible. But I want to assure you this morning that it's not on the authority of God's word. might seem impossible as you look at the circumstances around you, but it is not. Listen to what happened after Jeremiah stepped out by faith and he made such a public statement about buying this land as judgment was about to come. It appeared that he wondered for a moment or two if he had heard right about buying the field. 
You know, maybe you heard some comment about, you know, what a dilly was to purchase the land. That dumb, dumb deal, bad real estate. You ever done, you ever made a decision to do something and then somebody else afterwards says, that's a really dumb idea to do. Have you ever, have you ever had that happen to you? You're feeling not, not the best normally in those circumstances. And so he did what it's a good thing to do when you're feeling things have maybe not gone so well or did you get it right? And this is what he prayed. That's what you do. You go to prayer with this thing. Jeremiah 32, 17, 23. That's what he prayed. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for parents' sin into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land. You had sworn to give their ancestors, this promise-keeping God, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it. And then we read this, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do, so you brought all this disaster on them. Jeremiah here, he, he realised that what God is asking him to symbolise in the purchase of this field is going to require more of God's amazing work. His, you know, his miracle history here, if this is going to actually take place, is, is, we're going to need some big things here, God. And so he reminds himself in prayer that God is the mighty God, that God is the one of the impossible, that nothing is too hard for him. And in a New Testament context, we can say that God's able to do abundantly above what we could think or imagine. And then he prays what he believed that God had asked him to do about the land. Listen, and though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians in verse 25, you sovereign Lord say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witness." I don't know about you, but I always feel really encouraged when the big time prophets in the Old Testament have a bit of a wobble. You know what I mean? They've got it really right. Don't you ever feel uplifted and encouraged? Not, no, but you don't. I sure do anyway. I sure do. Well, God answers Jeremiah's prayer. It's a good thing to pray our doubts sometimes when we're checking it out with God. And he gets this really powerful affirmation from God about what God had said will take place. Listen, then the word of the Lord came to me, verse 26. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Don't you love the word of God in the mighty? If you don't get anything this morning, you get this verse here, won't you? You get this verse here. Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. It was part of God's plan. Passage goes on to describe God's judgment, but then it ends with these words. This is what the Lord says. Verse 42, 44. As I have brought all of this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I've promised them. Fields, 
will be bought for silver and deeds will be signed, sealed and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin and the villages around Jerusalem and the town of Judah and the towns of the hill country of the western foothills foothills and of the Negev because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. God powerfully affirming what he had told Jeremiah to do. And the promises of God about this particular field, they did come true. They did come true. The people did indeed return to Israel. And fields and properties were once again trade. All came true. God's always faithful. And there is not a life and there is not a situation this morning that God can't, hear this, that God cannot restore, God cannot rebuild because there is nothing that is too hard for him. Did you hear that some this morning? Nothing's too hard for him. If you're in a place this morning where the future looks bleak, maybe you are reaping painful consequences of your own actions or painful consequences because of the actions of others around you. Or maybe you've just been caught up in the pain and the sufferings of this broken world and they've overtaken you and they've overwhelmed you. Then God is reminding you this morning. He's brought you here so you will hear who he is, who he is. However difficult it may be at this moment, this is the truth, that God loves you. He loves you. He is not against you. He is for you. He's for you. We, of course, are more aware, far more aware than Jeremiah's generation was of the greatness of God's intention and his capacity to restore all things because we know about the gift of who? We know about the gift of Jesus, God's very son, who came to this world to do what? To restore all things, to make all things new. Jesus has come. We're going to celebrate in just a few weeks' time. And in these chapters of Jeremiah 30 to 33 where there are such powerful promises about God's restoring work, we actually hear in these chapters words that point to the era of life which Jesus would make possible. Listen to this, these wonderful prophetic words in Jeremiah 31, 31, 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though it was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Wow, what a a prophecy. Spoken by Jeremiah in this very season. Those words are quoted in full in Hebrews 8. It's taken up in the New Testament. And it's described there about how, or should I say who, would make possible this new covenant. And it's Jesus the King. Listen, from Hebrews 9, 14, 15. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, because he was the perfect sacrifice, sinless Jesus, 
How much more? How much more will it cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Here it is. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We know, we know, this generation, we know that it's through the shedding of Jesus' blood that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be given a new heart. We're under a new covenant. The presence of the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell us and gives us the heart to love and serve God. Wow. Wow. Did you hear the greatness of this work of Jesus this morning? I want you to hear this. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Did you hear that? Our sins. Our sins, folks. Our sins. They're forgotten by God. Did you know that? You think about that for a moment. How wonderful this is. Every selfish act. Every hurtful word that you have ever spoken. Every every memory that we so deeply regret. They are all expunged by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Is that not incredible? Is that not incredible? Luke said it well. At that moment, every horrible, evil, nasty sin I had committed seemed not to be there. It was like they'd been sucked out of me And I was at peace for the first time since I was a little boy. Wow. Are you not thankful this morning for the blood of Jesus Christ? You may be in the middle of enduring some sufferings at the moment, sufferings which result from living in a sinful world, or maybe you have chosen paths that have knowingly or unknowingly pitted you against God. I want you to know you're here this morning by divine appointment because God wants you to know that he has a plan to forgive you and to restore you and not only you but the lives of those around you. It's always a a blessing. It ripples out. His mercy, it triumphs over judgment. James 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. And God has made a way through Jesus for our sins to be removed. As we cry out for his forgiveness, as we trust in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, the sinless Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you have never received God's forgiveness, if you've never received it, or maybe it's been a long, long time since you walked with God, had any awareness of God, nearness of God, maybe it's been a child since that's happened for you. Well, this morning, God offers you his forgiveness. Did you know that? Just like he did for Luke in, his, in that jail cell. He says, I love you. I'll forgive you. I can make all things new for you. 
If you're hearing Jesus through his Holy Spirit speak to you, then maybe you want to use the words that Luke used that morning or that evening in his jail cell. Please forgive me. My life is yours. That's for someone here this morning. I know many of us know Jesus, but there's some here this morning and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. Will you take this opportunity? Cry those words out from your heart. If you've never taken hold of the forgiveness of God, don't know what it is to walk free from the weight of sin that crushes and leads to death. 13 years later, I just want to assure you that Luke remains a new man in Jesus Christ because of that moment in that jail cell that began a new work, the restoring, healing, renewing work. For many others here this morning, when we look at some of those that we, that we love and when we look at our community and when we look at our nation, it can certainly appear sometimes that... W- what we're asking of God and believing God to do can seem so unlikely, so impossible. Have you found, I don't know if you ever look around and you say, God, God, look at our nation. When will you come, Lord? When will you bring a change to us? Those of us that have heard promises concerning these things, our faith can falter at times, it can. Because some of this stuff's long-term, isn't it? It's decades after decades. Well, this morning, I just want you to hear again these words that, that God used to describe himself in 600 BC and he's the same God and nothing's changed. He's, he's here in 2021. Same God, got this? So you ready? I pray that you remember this verse. You got it? Exodus 32, what? 27. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Did you hear that this morning? Is anything too hard for me? I thought it'd be right as we conclude our service this morning that we just take a moment to actually engage in in an act. It's a faith act. Our God's mighty and his heart is filled with mercy and he delights when his people cry out to him and look to him even when the circumstances around seem so hard, seem so difficult. And so in a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's about the mercy of God, how it triumphs over judgment. And in that song, as we sing that, if there's a situation, maybe a loved one, maybe a place, maybe a people where you are trusting God for a restoration work, You're trusting, you've asked God for that. He may well have given you words concerning that. Well, this is a moment this morning to affirm again that your faith and trust is in him, the one to whom nothing is impossible. Nothing. And so when we sing, I just want to invite you. We'll be standing to sing this song just just to sit down for a moment and bring that to God, bring that person to God again. Just pray and say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Do your restoring work. It's been long, Lord, but I'm hanging in there. He's a good God, folks. He's the most wonderful God. And so if the Holy Spirit's burdening you, 
with a situation or a person or whatever it might be, I pray you'll make a statement of faith this morning, a faith statement as we sing this final song. And if you're someone here this morning who's not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, you take this moment, you just sit down where you are and say, Lord, forgive me. I give you my life, forgive me. And you can begin a new life. Your life will be revolutionised. It seems so simple when you just pray a small prayer like that, but I tell you, Luke's life's been revolutionised, revolutionised by the love and the mercy and the grace of God. God plans that for every life, wants that for every life. Come, let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. You're a wonderful God. We honour, love and worship you, Lord, to those, Lord, who you've brought this morning so that they could hear this word, so that they could put their faith and trust in you. Lead them now, Lord, I would pray in Jesus' name. Lead them, Lord. For those of us, Lord, still with our eyes on you, believing for great things, Lord, greater things that we've ever seen before, things that we could dream or imagine, Lord, well, Lord, stir our faith this morning. Oh, God to whom nothing is too hard. We began this service by singing that, those words, Lord. And we thank you for them. We stand on them again today, Lord. Lead us now in this time of response and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please, I invite you to stand. We're all gonna stand, start off with. And if you wanna take a moment to make a faith statement, or you wanna take a moment to give your life to Jesus, you do that just as you feel led by the Holy Spirit as we sing together now. Thanks, team.
Thank you that you are perfect in all of your ways, great God. Thank you that you are a God of justice. We thank you too, Lord, this morning for your mercy, for your mercy and your grace which you have poured out upon us, that you love us so much, so perfectly you love us in fact, Lord. You long to lead us and direct us in the fullness of all that you have for us. And so I want to pray, Lord, just your blessing on each and every one. Thank you for your word to us. 
Thank you for the way that you speak so specifically into the situations and circumstances of our lives. And I know you've been doing that this morning. So I pray you'll help us now as we just head out this week. It just begins, in fact, Lord, as we seek now just to live in the the stream of your, your desire, your will for us. Great God, help us to reflect your heart, Lord, of, of mercy and compassion and kindness as well, we pray to others. Help us in our relationships, workplaces, neighbourhoods, families, wherever you take us, great God, to live as, as an example, a living example of all that you've done for us in our own hearts. So Lord, thank you for this time together. We pray your blessing on each one now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be down the front. We have our Connections Lounge up the back corner. They'll be opening up that now. You're welcome to head straight there. And we have some tables set up for hampers outside as well. If you want to sponsor a hamper, nominate someone, or just find out more about that, you can head to those tables as well out the front. God bless.